Today on Talk About That, John has a smelly dog and a go-kart. Meanwhile, I fracture a toe and ponder the role of a professional sweetener. Plus, a conversation about biblical interpretations and how we tend to view what we read through the lenses of our culture and biases. Today's episode is not sponsored by the CPUP machine. Got a snoring dog? Try CPUP. Let's go. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. The love of God is immeasurable. It's unchanging. It's indescribable. Because God loves you so much, you can sleep through the night in peace. With Abide Bible Sleep Meditation, you can fall asleep fast with relaxing sleep stories based on Scripture. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Bible Sleep Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com. It's your favorite time of the week, Johnny. It's talk about that. I don't think you know a lot about my week. <laughs> like, this is not even in the top ten. Oh, of course it is, John. It's always great to see you. It's good to see you as well. Um, I, um, You may notice that I have now assumed winter attire. For those of you who are watching. I think we need to show people that we're in the same room. Why don't you take something from your desk and throw it to me? You don't think they know? Yeah, I just want to show that, like, throw we're away. split screen, but, yeah, like, we're... I'm yeah. gonna see. Look at that. Look at that. I'm glad I caught that because my headphones are inside. I kept waiting for it to just been a heck explode. Of a, yeah. Uh, how's it going, man? How you doing? I'm all right. It's uh, fine. I'm really digging your background today. I decided to give a little love to my buddy John Driver, author mm. extraordinaire. Yeah. Yeah. It's the uh, the ultimate guide to the avid endorsement is behind me. If you're not watching this on video, and if you're not, why aren't you? Apparently, according to the book, it won an award or something. Is that on the book now? Do you not see it right behind you? Uh uh-uh. uh You don't see. The I just I just put whatever book behind me. You don't you told see the me sticker too. that says uh, "Winner of the Silver Schmopty uh, uh, What was that? Award. Best Best Book Award. I think is what it was. That's what they call it. Yeah. The Best Book Award. <laughs> That's a really, what a dull no, title. It was American Book Fest. I think is the one. Uh, I won the Bronze Crown Award hmm. for Best Comedy when my Franklin Theater special was nominated for a. I think it's called IVCM. Yeah. The International. Everyone knows about that. Christian video media. Anyway. Uh, and the bronze crown award means I placed third. Hey, that's good. But it's the bronze crown. If you win the crown, I think it's called the gold crown, then you get the silver. Anyway, we're going to throw them all at we're Jesus' feet. I was going to say, they literally are a Christian company named after I think the when theme. I go to throw the bronze crown at Jesus' feet, he's going to be like, I'm good. <laughs> you can keep it. You know, it's just a piece of paper. I'm not sure this really honors it me. It was fine to put it on your wall. Right. I, if you ever took pride in that, that would have been a real mistake on your part. <laughs> no, it was fine. It was an honor to win it. It was an honor just to be nominated. Oh, honestly. my goodness. But, no, congratulations on all your success, John. We're very proud of you over here. Yeah, I I am a struggling writer. So You're we should call struggling. it, no, no, we should call it like it is. Things are a little, like I'm writing a lot right now, but not 
No one's reading no it. No one. No one's reading it or, okay. or paying me for it. <laughs> oh. So I'm a real writer right now. Oh in yeah. That, um, there's things I'm working on that I don't know. It's just been it's been an interesting year in that respect. I think what you're doing is putting together a manifesto. What is that? <laughs> I'm writing a lot, and I'm just waiting for my moment in history. <laughs> You're like, okay, this feels weird. I'm assembling a team of <laughs> minions. Uh, <laughs> Till the time is right. Right. It's weird. For the motherland. Uh, yeah. You'll be fine. I was watching that episode of where Dwight makes the speech, the salesman speech. Oh, and he pounds on the podium. Yeah. There's. Have you watched the... Jim like, gives him the Mussolini speech or whatever? Yeah, like the Ultimate Fan episodes, their extended cuts. Have you watched them? <laughs> no. Yeah, there's extra scenes they cut. Uh-huh. And not a lot. It's in, awkward anyway. Oh, that yeah. whole scene is awkward anyway, but yeah, but it's so funny how mm-hmm. they all just uh, salesmen of the greater Pennsylvania, Northern Pennsylvania area unite. Like yeah. it's all, yeah. he just, he just inserts, you know? Um, yeah, it's true. If you speak with authority, I think that's kind of what the point of that was. You speak with it, authority, right. you can, it resonates. Eventually you win them over, which you, is also terrifying. Right. Oh, it absolutely is. <laughs> well, I try not to be an axiomatic, like, leader or speaker as much. I don't know what that is, John. No, I know what axiom is. Like, I'm trying to just, because I'm a real, like, coin a phrase mm-hmm. kind of guy, you know? When I was young, I'm, I've been really pondering this a lot lately. Like, because I, I want to write a book. I'm going to tell you the title, but it's a great title. It reminds me, actually, of Michael Scott's book title. He could never get the book written. Somehow I Manage. Somehow I Manage. It's a great title, <laughs> you know? Um, mine, mine's like that. Yeah. I'll tell you off air, but I don't want someone to steal oh, it. that's true. Know? It could happen because we have. Right. Because, you know, that's going to happen. <laughs> but it's about hope and it's about like, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday and reading through like every story in the Bible, every writer from C.S. Lewis to anyone else that you read, they all go through this like dark night of the soul. Yeah. You know, and I started thinking about how many things I tried to write about in my early 20s, late 20s, even early 30s, that now I would not want to read myself. Yeah. Because there's, it's not an age thing, I think, is or even just an experience thing, but it, it would be, you know, the equivalent of me writing a book on playing the mandolin. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I know a few chords, but I have a friend, you and I have a friend who has a master's degree in bluegrass performance and he, literally does stuff on the mandolin that I can't even imagine yeah. can be done. Like, I want to know, if I don't know about the mandolin, I want to ask him because he's actually experienced it on right. that level. But like, you don't want to hear a book on getting through suffering from some dude who's 21, who's won his whole life, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, you can be young and have that level, but I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of at that place to go, I feel, I, I feel like all the stuff from my past that I wrote about you know, and one of the axioms I, I came up with for leaders back then was on speaking. Like, hey, the most important thing about being a speaker, to your point of just being able to, you know, pound the table. Most important thing about being a speaker to me is actually having something to say. Yeah. I still stick by that axiom. But I think yeah. I wrote that in my mid-20s. But I, I still think that that's, that's key. Yeah. I mean, when I started doing comedy and then I started meeting people, uh, and you're always meeting people, and I still do, meeting people who are trying to get into comedy. Yeah. Or they're young at comedy, but they are kind of, um, they're not getting the amount of work that they think they deserve right. yet. And they're like, they're asking you questions like, how do I get more shows? But then somewhere the, the questions, if you're not careful, can start dialing into like, 
what did you do? How did you get where you are? And how can I skip line yeah. to get to where you are? And it's almost like you're trying to figure out as a young comic how to trick somebody into thinking you're a level ahead of where you are. And then you hope that you're big enough for that moment when you get there. Right. Instead of like actually being undeniably good and then hoping that success will follow. I think it's because we see so many people not get rewarded for their success or we see people get rewarded for success they didn't deserve. Yeah. And so it builds in this weird system in our head where we're like, all right, I'm going to use in some of these tricks. But when I get my sizzle reel together, that's like my best two minutes to try to fake it until I get in the moment. When I get there, though, I'll be as big as the moment. Uh-huh. I won't blow it. And sometimes you just don't get opportunities because you're not ready. It's hard to admit that to yourself. Do you ever do you ever feel that there's a chance you won't be as big as the moment? Yes. Because I, mean, I, I do, too. Uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes you just feel like I'm not a fit. Um, it's not a matter of – I give myself a break on most things these days. I go, well – this was not a fit. This was a bad idea. I do some events where I get there and they go, hey, we're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. And you're going to do 45 minutes. And I go, okay. And when I'm done, I go, okay, that didn't go well. But some of it was me and some of it was this event was not right for comedy. Yeah. These people were, I did an event recently where people were drinking a lot. It was a bit like a celebration of yeah. funds raised throughout a year. And um, it's great. And I was glad to do it and help out. It was a worthy cause, but they probably should have just hired a band or some, you know, something. Right? Just, yeah, the medium that they're choosing for entertainment. So I give myself a little bit of a break on it, be like, oh, if I could only have been better comedian, like there's no, there's nothing I could have done different. I still did fine, but it was just a different environment. But yeah, I have been in situations early on, especially where I go, oh man, I'm not ready for this, or I'm not. My, I always say my jokes aren't, or my jokes a tall enough ladder to get me out of this hole, <laughs> yeah. you know, that they, sometimes it's a hole they've dug. Sometimes it's a hole just because the event is so big in scale. Um, and you just hope you're big enough. I, I got thrown in front of some big crowds though, early on. And that was part of, it's like uh, trial by fire. Yeah. And you find out, you know, we have a room here in town. Zanies is our comedy club in Nashville. And I always like it cause I call it an honest room. You know, you can really find out if you have something there. If you get laughs there, you have something. And if you don't get laughs there, you probably should work on it. Yeah. Uh, there's very few rooms like that, though. Sometimes you get really skewed data from a room. And I yeah. know church can be that way, too, like where you go. Like I was watching you when you were preaching Sunday, and you had a couple of really funny lines or a couple of really poignant lines. And I was looking around to see if people were leaning in. And I was like, I wonder if John gets rattled if they don't lean in when he expects them to lean in. It would be hard. I Rattle's a strong word. I think I struggle a lot right now with that part. There's this mixing in modern culture of the pastor delivering a message being on the same terms as an entertainer. Yeah. By terms, I mean we're on a stage that -hmm. looks just like a stage a comedian perform on or a band. It is a stage comedians perform on. Right. We have the same stage lighting. We have the same mics. We have the same mm-hmm. live stream feed. We have, like, we're, you know, it's it's hard then for me and for them. Like, yes, I want them to lean in right. at that spot, but I also To like, go, like, now we're not performing anymore. Now this is the part where we do this. Right. To get them to change their expectations is almost unfair. Yeah. Because you've, you've put them in that same place. Well, modern evangelicalism 
you know, and not just, I mean, even modern Protestantism, Protestantism, we'll edit all this out. Yeah. (laughs) Protestantism. I got this. You know, like I've toyed with the idea of moving more like some of our more liturgical brothers and sisters. Yeah. And moving the podium, whatever that may be, to the side stage. Like okay. there's a lot of traditions where the the, the minister speaker does yeah. not stand it's like at the a lectern center. off to the yeah and and it's the usually the what we would call the communion table yeah but you know the elements of the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist that's at the center so that there is a it's you know here's the thing you can downplay symbolism all that you want and, right. and I agree with that but but they generally mean something and so you are saying something by the way you structure your stage I'm not saying by having a speaker in the center of the stage I do this you're saying week. that I'm the center of attention or whatever right I'm not saying that we're down we're, we're somehow trying to eclipse the value of Christ there or whatever but there is something to be said for you do condition people yeah for what it, you condition people by the way that you right. stage things or by the way that you say things and so there's this, you know, would it, would it, would someone get it? <laughs> yeah. They're like, you know what? I today have now, and I would probably just tell them, yeah. but now I understand that Jesus is the center. I mean, like we still would want to boil down and, and, and sort of reduce, yeah. you know, a little bit. Like if you, yeah, if you move to the side, all of a sudden people will be like, I wonder why he's off to the side. Right. You if know. you tell them why even, would they be distracted from, by that? from what you're actually saying? Or like, is now? he saying that everyone that is in the center now is not in God's will because he's he figured it out and moved to the side? Right. I mean, it's a statement on all those other people. Right. And then they'd be probably concentrating on what kind of tribe now are, am, am I a part of? And is it the tribe I want to be a part of? Yeah. Even if they took it right and they said, well, now but right. he's, now he's trying to, to mesh with liturgical tradition. Therefore, I don't want to be meshed with liturgical yeah. tradition. So now I'm, you know, is this is this a, a evangelical church? Is this a Baptist church? Is this a Pentecostal right. church? It's like everyone wants to know: is this a Bible believing church? Like we get so many questions like that. What about what side that you chose to move the lectern to? That could be the side political. <laughs> well, is it he stage moved. right, stage left? Oh, uh, it's right. Or is it, okay. or is it just right and left? Or my perspective of what's right and left? Yeah. Oh, what yeah. if I just move it a little bit to the left? Is even that, that going to be too much? Even that kind of drift is unacceptable <laughs> to me, John. Or a little bit to the right. Um, that's funny. That's funny. What kind of statement are you trying to make? It's like, dude, I'm just trying. Yeah. Like, I'm always fascinated by, by. I'm reading a book uh, called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. It's been out since like 2012. And mm-hmm. it's had a sequel, which actually I saw the sequel. I was like, I've been meaning to read the, the first one forever. So I bought both of them. Yeah. Um, and... It's so fascinating as he's talking about like the the lenses like we basically he's like you're really we're, this is not really a book about reading scripture as much as it, it's a book about how, reading yourself. Yeah. Because you, you don't realize no one can realize. Well even the Bible talks about that that it kind of the Bible reads you. It divides yeah. truth. Right. It's this it, two-edged sword so like the Bible is kind of reading us. And our perspective and our biases as we read it, if we're doing it right. And sometimes we go, no, my interpretation is the right one. And we, we right. marry ourselves to that. Well, you can't help but interpret yeah. the Bible through the only lenses you have. Mm-hmm. So you at least have to know what they are. Right. Like if you could, you don't have to know, but if you, so there's a lot of things we take away. Um, and he's had a couple examples early on, like the church at, at Laodicea. Yeah. which is where the whole your lukewarm scripture comes in Revelation. I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. And he talks about he visited the city mm-hmm. of Laodicea 
and which is lovely this time of year. Oh, it's beautiful. I've heard. I'll tell you. But there's two neighboring cities within sight distance. One, Colossae at the time hadn't been excavated, but one was known for their one's still known today for their hot springs. Uh huh. Like hot natural springs, which I've done in Iceland and stuff. You go and you know, it's all this very earthy benefits to your skin and health yeah. and other things. And another was kind of known for like this ice cold pure water sort of out of the mountains. And so the city of Laodicea didn't really have a natural water source. And so there were aqueducts they had built. Yeah. So they have water coming from both places probably to their city. And by the time it got there, whether it was hot from one place or cold from the other, it was probably lukewarm. So the Laodiceans had a special sort of recognition of what lukewarm water was. All right. And so it probably, but in in a revivalist informed culture like ours, right? It just means you're not holy enough for God, right? We got to keep. We you're not holding to the hot. standard of holiness, then God's yeah. mad at you. Yeah. yeah, it's a very like how much of church for us is about that? We got to keep these people. Well, think about the words we use. We got to keep them on fire for yeah. God, and and it's a so what? So you're saying that like the author's intent could have meant like about like our usefulness. Like yeah, her. and he makes a good point. It's like, hey, I'm not going to tell you everything I, or what, we're not going to tell you the two authors. We're not going to tell you everything we necessarily think it could yeah. mean through non-Western viewpoints. Mm-hmm. That's really not what this book is about. It's about giving you the lenses and then you go right. study scripture differently now. But I mean, his point is like, you think about how, but well, he didn't go this far, but I think about how, like I struggled with that scripture as a kid, mm-hmm. as a young adult. You know, right. it, it the feels fear of being lukewarm or whatever. Yeah, God's going to spew you out of His mouth, and right. it, it, it very well could have been. And may, maybe I mean, all of this is meta, you know, metaphorical to some extent. But what if, like, it meant something to them? That's the whole point. Like, it meant yeah. something to them differently than to us. And the takeaway may be similar, but it might have had as much to do with, hey, how guys, y'all know, lukewarm water is not as useful as cold or hot. Yeah, like you know that it's not as it's not as tasty. It's not as useful. So like. Basically, your Christianity is not really um, – what was the word he used? I think it, it's it's not it's not really outstanding in the sense of it's not making a difference either way. Yeah. Like the way that you're living this faith is so middle ground. It's not really very useful to anyone. Yeah. You know, as opposed to like in, in the second book, they have his misreading scripture with individ, individual, individualistic eyes. Well, I'm really struggling <laughs> yeah, with that, Yeah, you're Johnny. killing it today, I'm a public child. speaker. Uh, but that whole – concept of everything you know the bible's written to collective cultures right and we don't have much of a well it speaks to americanism is we're individualistic right everything for us is it's part it, of what capitalism is it means like yeah hey if there's not a place for you go start a place right build your own table and even in christianity i mean yeah. e- even you know with the reformation it's a very much we now use the language mm-hmm and I believe this language. And I think this language is scriptural. I'm just saying that we emphasize it on a level, but it's to, right. to the exclusion possibly of the community. Yeah. And that is that, hey, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what all this yeah, is about. Yeah. And it is. But the but the backdrop and context of, of much of the Bible yeah. is being written to a group of people, not right. to an individual. Yeah, I remember hearing that when I was a kid, preached more than once. If there was nobody else on earth but you, Jesus still would have died for you. And I believe that that's probably true. But it also kind of makes the gospel about you without meaning to. Right. It's like the point is, it wasn't just the sin of me. It was the sin of the world. And Jesus died to defeat sin and death. But somehow it feels it feels diminished. Yeah. When you you say, when you're a part of a group, it feels diminished. Yeah, you make it about you. You make it bigger and smaller somehow. It's like yeah. you, you've made it worse, inev- invariably worse. Yeah. Uh, but, because we don't me- know how to be a part of a group. 
Yeah. Well, we saw that. I mean, we've talked, we talked about that at length and I mean, we, it's so funny to go back and listen to the old episodes and there's some, I was like, Ugh. like I thought about that with pandemic episodes because everybody was wrong about the pandemic like 20 times each. But I do think one thing we were right about is it really showed our, our collectivism was really lacking. Yeah. And culturally that's born out. Like mm-hmm. the more collective cultures did better during the pandemic than the people who said it's, you know, it's me versus the world and I'll get through it. And I don't care about the next person. What, for whatever side you chose to be on, we need each other and we're built to be in community. And when you ignore that to the deference of everything, like you're going to have a harder time getting through a crisis. It's interesting too, because wasn't it, I forget who came out and said what we should have said to everyone was the vaccine or sorry, masks protect you. Yeah. And they thought it sounded more noble and true also yeah. to say, wear your mask because it protects your neighbor. And it was the worst thing in American culture to say yeah. because we hate our we neighbors. We hate our neighbor. Yeah. So if you just would have said this will help you, then mm-hmm. you probably would have, have skipped a lot of the controversy. Yeah. Our it, neighbor's the problem. That's the thing. It's like right. if everybody was just like me, America would be okay. And the truth That's is what, it was yeah. going to help both of you. Yeah. You know, if again, I'm not making a mask statement. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm way past that now. Yeah. <laughs> Your surgeons have been wearing masks for years. John just so. took his mask off to start this recording, by the way. He, <laughs> I'm not wearing a mask anymore. jeez. Oh, I'm not bringing it back up again. I'm not no, saying. No, it's just fast. I'm just saying it's interesting. Did, the collectivism is fascinating. It is. And we didn't have all the information at the time, but mm-hmm. the filter of individualism versus, yeah. you know, a community it, it, it backfired. Yeah, it kind of, it, it, I don't know if it exposed us as being like bad, but it exposed our biases. Yeah. You know, expo- like you said, those lenses that we go, oh, that's not how I really think. Well, when you get into a crisis, you figure out how you really feel about things. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Tim Hawkins, he talked about that with writing. He'd say, I love writing jokes because I find out how I feel about stuff. Yeah. I never really had anybody say that. I was like, that's really interesting. Like if I write five jokes about guns, by the end of those five jokes, I go, huh, it, it I got an opinion on guns I, I didn't really think about. Yeah. You know, it, have, it exposes it. I have said that in a, in, for myself in prose writing uh-huh. in sermons, but like sometimes I need to, if I'm wrestling with something, the best thing for me to do is to write about it. Yeah. Because then I have to research. I have to like inform myself. I have to go challenge with other viewpoints. And by the end, I still may not want to use what I've written, but it has caused me to go through a process. No one wants to use what you've written. Johnny, I think that the market bears that out. Um, Don't get me started on the market. I will (laughs) say, I will say this is a, this is not a shameless plug for me because it really is, but I'm hearing the, I'm reading a lot of reviews on Beth and Jeff McCord's book, more than your number that I, you know, helped to write. And, I'm telling you, the exciting thing about the reviews there, and Jeff and I were texting, is that the people writing the reviews are getting it. Because yeah. it's a complex, I mean, it, it sort of meshes some 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 ideas from therapy into both gospel and Enneagram takeaways, uh-huh. you know? And so you were worried it might be a little too, a little too heady and complex, you know, to self-apply. You know, you, you have to have a professional therapist in order to do these kinds of things, you know? And... um Man, it seems as if it's not that people are like, okay, yeah, this is you know very very helpful. And so, you when you do are a part of something that is practical and useful. Yeah, <laughs> for someone like me, I, I'm always like, wow, I can't believe that happened because I just assume 
Right. Well, I just wrote too many words. In I a way think that you was assume that you're over people's heads because you're that smart. No, I don't. No, no. John, I, I think the really smart people are able to boil it down. Better. No, that's true. That is yeah. a real skill. Yeah, I don't. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. There's no better way to start your day than spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Don't know where to start? We have a free daily prayer podcast created to help you do just that. The Your Daily Prayer podcast delivers a thoughtful devotional and timely prayer to you seven days a week. Gain inspiration, faith, and encouragement with daily messages in 10 minutes or less. To start listening now, search Your Daily Prayer on your favorite podcast app or visit lifeaudio.com. That's kind of what the original vision, I think, was for TED Talks. Uh-huh. Was, let's talk about something big, a big concept, and let's see if we can find speakers that'll boil it down. Yeah. And uh, it it's a really hard thing. If you find somebody that's really good at that, man, it's a... It's a whole game. It's a game changer as a skill. I, this morning, was thinking, you're going to laugh, because I'm writing, I've been working on a proposal now on the side for this entire year, basically. Yeah. And it's the biggest thing I've ever tried to write. And it's one of those, like, I wouldn't say it's pie in the sky. You know, it, it could be written. It's historical biography meets it's called pie in the sky it's called pie in the sky. It's, it's about the guy who invented the pie it's a children's book um, um archimedes <clears throat> at any rate i don't know if, yeah. but it, it's <laughs> it's um but i find myself it sounds very pretentious yeah the way i'm writing but the books i read like this mm-hmm. i love i mean they're 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 that way no there's a time for that there's a time for flowery and we've kind of gotten away from that i mean i have friends who talk about that about how like what was it modern language in shakespeare's time everybody's using like six thousand words and now it's like 200 words yeah that we use every day the average person uses so Uh, like there's a time and a place to like not let language just slip away well i did a workout on one of my favorite historians new book last night on their prologue Uh because the sample i'm putting in here is part prologue at least and um it's an eight thousand word prologue okay like just so you know that's i'd say the most chapters i mean that's probably a a full chapter size for a pretty big book and the book itself just the content this the back note section is almost as big as the book the actual content it's like almost like half notes from research in the back and for his book, and but the actual just words he'd written, I, I do word studies on a book. So I'll, you count the the number of words per line. Okay. You do like four or five lines to kind of find a, a, an average. I average about 10.5 words per line. You count the number of lines on a page. Right. And so that is 32 on every page. That's standard. And then you do the number of pages in, you know, of, of writing, and you multiply those three numbers. Is there so, a program that can find out how many unique words you're using? Because that would be the real question, right? Oh, how many unique words like words that aren't. And then how many 50 cent words are among those? Listen, if you never read Ron Chernow, who wrote Hamilton and Grant, you want to talk about 50 cent words. We're talking like five dollar words. Yeah. In fact, it's so much fun for me. It's such a nerdy thing to say. 
Like I do, I spend time looking up words. Yeah, and putting them into one. I used to do that as a kid. I'd read the dictionary. Well, well, I read his words words and how he used them. I'm like, okay, I know what he. I get it. Yeah, and I would have never used that word. You know, like a word came out today that I was writing, and I had to go look it up because it was somewhere. That's why you read. Oh right, Somewhere, it came out of your. It, it came yeah. out. I was like, oh, I want to use this word. Does that fit? And it, it, it. I made it. It, it did fit. I wanted yeah. to make sure I knew it exactly. I was like, oh, it was, it was. Well, I'm not gonna say what it was because it sounds so pretentious. But, it, but you know, like I may not, it may not stay in the edit. But what I really want right now, I think I want a writer. Like you I, want, you want another, you want a writer for you. Yeah. Well, okay. you know, we call that in the biz, Johnny. I don't. We call that a sweetener. Okay. And so, like, there is. I've had publishers before. Like I wrote one book that was like a novel. Okay, it was a true. It was based on a true story because we thought a movie's being made, and so I wrote it very like I created characters to add in. We put yeah. all that in the introduction. Like, hey, we're going to tell a story that has some really um, delicate matters. There's some things we need to protect and people. Mm-hmm. So we're going to make this work. You know. Yeah. But it, all this is real. Yeah. But we'll let you know what's not kind of thing. And so, but I got a chance to kind of write that fiction side a little bit. Yeah. And um, they hired a sweetener. Yeah. That's someone who went through, and basically all he did was shore up like the first page of each. When I really went back and looked, he kind of shored up and and made a little more concise the first page of each chapter. First was it the little guy time. from the Dr. Pepper commercials? <laughs> the sweet one. <laughs> little sweet. Man, that guy cracks he me had up. a gigantic can. It is so... What a funny concept. That's great. What's funny about that is, you know who that is, right? No. That is, uh, what is his name? Justin Pepper. No. And he went to med school. Justin from season one of American Idol. What? Yeah. What's his last name? I can't even remember. Kelly. So Kelly won. Kelly Clarkson won. Uh-huh. Then there was Justin, and I can't remember his name. The people are screaming at the radio right now. But he uh, went on to do acting roles and other things and you know made some music projects, but now he's a little sweet. Wow. Yeah. That's his, uh, so funny. Yeah. I love it when someone can be, Oh, it's great. I think it's such a cool, what yeah. a cool second act. And those took off and they're funny and he's really funny in them. This is very funny. Anyway. So that's your sweetener. Let me tell you what, you know, you know, there's sort of sweetening in comedy as well. Okay. It's when you finish a project and let's say you've been doing these jokes on tour for months and months and months and yeah. they're killing you have your hour and you get in front of a crowd and you've got tape rolling and now the audience is a little flat. Mm. And you go, we just spent 50 grand to shoot this. What are we going to do? They come in and they they sweeten it. They ramp up the laughs or they add laughs from other areas of the show or they double and triple. Okay, in so there's not someone you bring in edit. to get the crowd hype. That's no. Like, what do you call that guy? Uh, there's like a, well, I don't know. Like a, There's a warm-up guy. Like a warm-up comic like would do for... A, when you go to a club, you're either featuring, headlining... Or, or you're host, host. Or MC. Okay. MC, yeah. But yeah, I mean, when I did my taping, I had my buddy Marty come in, and he did the whole thing where he gave the crowd directions. Right. And we did get some sample laughs, because we knew I, I didn't think I was going to use them, and we didn't. We didn't sweeten my special. Yeah. I'm not saying that just to say it, but we didn't. You heard it here, guys. Uh, I'm talking about sweetening. I don't want people like, oh, that's why Johnny's clips always have laughs in them, because clearly he's terrible. No, I don't do it, but... We did do a thing where you get the crowd laughing. Let's do a big laugh, and then Marty go like, "Let's do a laugh where you're almost offended at the end. You don't you don't want to be laughing, but you're laughing." He'll do like eight different kinds of laughs. Marty's just been doing this a long time, and he knows. And he did that so we would have that just in case. 
But also, I like doing it because it gets the crowd laughing. It makes them exercise that muscle. Yeah. And it's also kind of funny to do because it's so different. Right. Like somebody telling you to laugh on cue, it, it's a weird emotion uh, and, and a weird action. So I think just doing that makes people a little like more likely to laugh when something funny is said. So I like doing it if I'm doing a taping. And I probably would have Marty do it again because he was so great at it. Yeah. He, was just, he was just funny, and he did it like a substitute teacher, and he was just very snarky about it, and people were just, you know. He's a funny guy. More and, at ease. And he's, he's good at, again, he's a coach. Yeah. You know, so like but I know a lot of people that do that. They go, let's get our laughs, and they'll do like five minutes of laugh here, laugh here, get a big laugh. Let's do a laugh with an applause at the end. Now let's do the applause first and fade in, and then you'll hear those on the special. Wow. You'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. That's, yeah. I mean, when you used to hear the canned laughter at like an I Love Lucy show or something back when sitcoms were taped like that. Yeah. You'd hear like the same laugh, cough guy like four times in the show. Uh, and you'd be like, all right, that was cut and paste. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some, I can't remember what show it was. There's someone I recognize the same laugh over and over again. It may be a old Andy Griffith shows or something. Like you can. You Did know. I ever tell you when we went to. Uh, so Marty got invited to go to New York. He was promoting his special, and he hired a publicity a publicity firm. So they go, hey, we got these opportunities. You can go. And he had a friend who was producer, executive producer of Fallon at the time, who's not anymore. But he went to school with the guy and played Little League with the guy. So he goes, hey, while you're in New York, come here. We were going to, like, American Bible Institute, which had offices in Manhattan. And Marty was going to do, like, a quick interview with them and sit down because they had these cool offices. And they shot this show there every day, kind of like the Today Show. And Marty would interview and talk about his comedy special. And then we'd go to Fallon that night. So I go, I want to go. So I kind of glom- totally glommed on to this trip with Marty. And I'm going to go to New York City with Marty. He goes, okay. So we went. We're staying in this tiny you know, hotel that was $300 a night. And it was literally, the door opened into the bed. Like it was <laughs> tiny. I was right. like, man, New York's a different place. Like yeah. Manhattan. But anyway, we go to Fallon that night. And uh, it's a tiny studio. And it was the night Derek Jeter hit his last, it was Derek Jeter's last game where he hit the little blooper. Uh-huh. And won the game on his last hit, and yeah. so Derek Jeter was on the show that night. We didn't know who was going to be on. We were just like they were just putting the guests. We just knew we were going, and so we're there. And uh, Marty is so funny; like he kept doing this laugh. Like Fallon would do his monologue, and then Marty would go ha ha like that. <laughs> and then I go, I kept looking over him like, "What are you doing?" And after a while, I realized he's trying to get his laugh on the tape. <laughs> Because we're going to go watch this later tonight, and he's going to – and I'm telling you, John, they edited – and whoever is editing the Fallon show, they, got it out. they caught them all. <laughs> Everyone, <laughs> Everyone was gone. I think wow. he coughed one time. I was like, dude, some people do anything to get on TV. <laughs> he could be like, yeah, I was on Fallon that one time. <laughs> but it made me laugh. So I always – whenever Marty – Whenever Marty's talking about that, I always do that weird laugh. Like, ha <laughs> oh, So gosh. funny. They were like, hey, whoever's over there in Section B, get that guy's laugh out of here. Move the microphone. <laughs> That's great, man. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I love, we're thinking about a trip back to New York. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, we're uh, contemplating a little short Christmas trip, maybe, before Christmas. That'll be fun. Well, Christmas is fun, yeah, because the energy of the city, and there's uh, the garbage smell. It's gone. Yeah, you know. Well, in I'll summer, my, I usually bring my own garbage. In summer, it's the hot garbage. In the winter, it's the frozen garbage. Yeah, but, you know, behind the businesses that you're walking past, you're like, yeah, right. there was a garbage oh, thing. scaffolding it, and but garbage. You know what, Johnny? One man's garbage is another man's garbage. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. I don't know. It just, I don't know. It was um, New York's fun. I, I, 
it's an intimidating city to, to think about living there. Yeah. Because I would think it would just be like really intimidating to think of the expense and the just like, whoa. But man, visiting, yeah, there is an energy and it's fun. There's just so much to do. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we may, we may, um, it just depends. But of course, you're a Broadway guy. You got to go to all the plays and. Yeah. You know, again, we're ruined a little bit. Like we get third row Hamilton on Broadway. Yeah. Like mm, I've seen mm, a few mm. shows since, you know, different things and it's all great, but like it was the lifetime type experience. Like I, to me, the best show written in our, in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was great. That's high man. praise, John. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling Hamilton, you, Hamilton, not a sponsor. Yeah. It was, um, it was fascinating. So again, we watched it on T, we, we went, you went to T bag. You saw it. It yeah. was great. It's great. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Oh boy. There we go. No, it was great. But it can't possibly live up. <laughs> well, Lauren, I talking about what last you, night. Listen, what you thought Hamilton was, Johnny. I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying <laughs> I feel sorry for you, but. <laughs> you just can't know. Yeah. You just don't know what we saw. You don't have any, you don't know what to compare it to. What, what you are is a rube. <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> you're a naive. I. You think you're a theater fan. Lauren, I was talking about last night. It was her birthday. I took her out for her birthday. Yeah. And, um, we were talking about our first cruise. Mm-hmm. And that thing, like you can't, you you can never replace a great first experience. If you have a bad first experience, yeah. sure. But like it was our first cruise, ten year anniversary. Sadie was so little yeah. that she could be with the grandparents and wouldn't even know that we were gone. You know, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're you're not worried. She knew. Know. She called me. She was upset. She couldn't even. Yeah. <sighs> She's pretty upset. And, you know, as long as you bring home a gift, who cares, you know, and it could be a $10 whatever from the gift shop, but from the airport. But, you know, we did celebrity. Yeah. I mean, have you done a celebrity cruise? No. So it's like upscale Royal Caribbean. It was, I think, eight days, seven nights. Yeah. And. It'd be weird if it was. <laughs> Seven days, eight nights. They were like, "What are we gonna do that?" You went into the. What do we do that eight triangle for a while? <laughs> yeah, and- you go into the hold of the ship for one of the days. <laughs> well, you get to stay in the in the room at night, though. Well, this feels weird. No, it's just that's how we booked it. That's how it's that's how it's labeled. Um, and like we were in the spa, yeah, section of the ship. We had a. You had the main dining room, but we upgraded and did private dining at our own private. I feel like dining we talk room. a lot about our very I know I expensive can't, I'm, vacation. I'm you, well, on this, this is show. the one I have not done one like this since. <laughs> uh, I'm still paying for it. Yeah, and uh, but like it was just us, and and I'm telling you, there was just something. It was it's hard, and I've enjoyed cruising since, but yeah. nothing's ever been like that experience. And Laura and I were like, I, I guess. Sort of. Do you think if you went back and did it again, that it would be the same? Or I don't still, know. Still, you built up in your mind That's to the where. Point. Yeah, it's, yeah I don't know. I, I, we were postulating like, is it possible to know. recreate an inaugural experience? You know what I was thinking the other day is about kids in your neighborhood who had nicer toys than you. Okay. You know. Yeah. Like, do you remember this kid, the kid who got a go kart or whatever? I didn't live in a very nice neighborhood. But were there kids who had things that you didn't have? Like no. a nicer bike, or you're like, no, I was, I was that. No, kid. well, we grew up in the country at first, and all of us were just kind of, you yeah, know, just I'd say, you're just like, rubbing sticks together, and yeah, I mean, that, banging bricks together. And then when we moved, I moved. This is going to sound, this is awful. When we moved, I lived between two churches. Yeah. So like, I didn't have kids next door. My school was right down the road, so like, my friends were in the neighborhood across the street. So I'm, I'm trying. And to then think. you became a pastor. Guys, you live between coincidence. Yeah. 
I... What? What are you living between? Come on, guys. Listener. What you live between is what you become. <laughs> um, one of those churches was a church on a hill, and another was not. Now, some one of was us, built on the sand, and one was... <laughs> guys, a storm came through. Yeah. My house is the only thing that stood between those two churches. I saw that house. It was not that great of a house. I, I would, that house would have been in trouble. <laughs> I remember staying at your house, and you had this dog... And I, I'm a dog person. I go to pet the dog, and a whole family at once goes, no! no! And yeah. I go, what? It was an outside dog. And you go, no, 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 no. You'll get the smell of the dog on your hand. You won't be able to. Sugar Bear Sugar was Bear. that dog's name. And Sugar was, Bear was the sweetest dog ever. But there was she had like a, she had like a medically oh boy. prescribed, not prescribed, medically diagnosed. Yeah. Skin condition. It'd be weird if they prescribed a skin they condition. Prescri- they gave it to her. Hey, I... I <laughs> You know what you Put need this to do? cream on and you'll stink real bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you, she was great, but yeah. you had to just like pet maybe just her head sometimes, but oh. the stench would get into your hands. Poor sugar. Baby. Laura has the same story. She started to pet. I thought you were going to say, Laura's got the same thing. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this would be a time to talk about it. Um, oh my God. Yeah, she went to pet the dog the first time she came over to the house and they're like, no, I mean, a hey, poor dog, but. <laughs> But, That's uh, so funny. Yeah. Poor, poor Laura. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's just like, it's so funny. Yeah. But I remember that story of like, but my neighbors, okay. I'm just saying this because my neighbor, we live in a cul-de-sac uh, and there's kids, families with kids all around us. And it's interesting watching like one family in uh, two houses down from us. This kid comes out one day and he's driving the electric Jeep. Okay. Uh, you know, he's got his little Jeep. Kid size like, like a power wheel. Three years old, three four years old. Power wheels. He's, yeah, he's going. Yeah, and he's going down. You know, and they're they're with him. Like she's walking behind him, but it goes pretty fast. I'm like, well, this is cool. And then the next day or two days later, I see he's got like a convertible. What? Yeah, he's got. And then I swear to you, there's like an SUV. Was he in one of those clubs? I don't know, but I think he's got like four or five. Like one power wheel isn't enough for this kid, or wow. the parents just projecting. Wow. So I'm just thinking, I wonder what I would have thought of that kid when I was a kid. Because, I mean, I was lucky to get whatever. I don't remember getting, well, they didn't have power wheels, you know, yeah. when, we were, when no, I was a kid. No. A battery-operated no. thing we, you we drove a, yourself? We got a real go-kart. And, uh, Did you really? Yeah. You were the go-kart kid? Actually, we had a golf cart and a go-kart. Oh, my God. Like, well, Dad you, would get old golf carts, fix them up. It is a wonder that we, and we would like. Did you drive it on the road? No, all around the yard, though. Yeah, yeah. Like flip you it. You try to ramp it. Yeah. All, like it's a wonder that we survived. We built so many ramps for our bike and there'd always be like, then you want to lay your friends out, uh-huh. jump your friends. There's always that one friend that's like, I'm not being the end of this. Like you yeah. jump two kids. I'm not being the third kid. Evil Knievel. It's dumb. Yeah. Now so, a bike comes down on your chest. Yeah. Like you could really be seriously injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I remember one time my brother or someone, like I was on foot and <laughs> they were, they were chasing me on a golf cart. <laughs> uh, like through the yard. I remember this. Like, and so you learn. I became very agile. Um, Do you think this is why you're not great at golf? <laughs> it's some like PTSD. <laughs> I mean, it was funny at the time. Also, I think buried I, trauma. I think I knew if I got run over by this golf cart, I'd be this would be bad. Yeah. So I think he probably wouldn't have really run me over. It's probably well, you guys know way. my. I mean, my golf cart story from four years ago or so. I think I told it on the podcast years and years ago, but. We were coming down a hill. We were on this course, me and my buddy Brian Bates. He's driving. 
And then it was like, stay on the path. But we were like, what? There's a bunch of cart. You can see the trails. But it's going straight downhill. And so we stayed. We got off the path. We're going uh-huh. down to where our ball, uh, our golf balls were, our shots were our first shot. And we start going so fast down this hill uh. that he can't slow it down. He's braking as hard as he can. And then he just kind of slams the brakes. And the cart, the cart starts uh-uh. going sideways down the hill. You know you're going to flip. And it's on my side. And I see it's going to flip. So I jump out of the cart. But wouldn't it? Hit you if you jump out? Why I jumped it? out to try to get clear, and I rolled. I barrel rolled out of the way. Well, when I jumped out, the weight shifted. I was 300 pounds then. The weight shifted. The car goes, whoom, it snapped up and wow. didn't tip because it was tipping partly because of my weight, I guess. But we were going like sideways down the hill, too. So all that said, I jump out. I land wrong on my toe, broke my big toe, mm. and I rolled away. And then I'm just like groaning, and, uh, and I tried to play through, and I couldn't. And I, went, I ended up going home, and then I went and got a splint and a little boot. Ugh. But, um, yeah, Bates wow. always blamed me for that. He was like, you jumped out. Everything was going to be fine. Like, we don't know what would have happened, but it was tipping over. Well, when I jumped out, it was tipping you over. You can feel yeah, yeah, the tippage. Yeah, it was going to be bad. And wow, we, got some, we got some pretty traumatic golf cart stories here. And this explains so much. Like, a lot of people would say we're not good at golf just because we don't play golf enough and we're just not athletic and we're bad at right. sports Those in general. Those would seem like... I guess, but I think logical I think you can't discount the emotional factor, yeah, of being traumatized by a sport that you otherwise would love. Yeah, you know what? And and when I was in New York in Buffalo this last year playing golf with Reggie, yeah, I really enjoyed myself and I played pretty well for me. Um, Did you have a cart? Yes, but I kind of vowed, you know, want to be good for me mental health wise. What's that? I want to play some more golf when I get home. You know how many times I've played? No, none. Like, we could be not wasting our time doing this right now, and we could be out on the golf course. This isn't a waste, oh, John. sorry, listener. I'm sorry I said Don't that. Don't be that. No. I'm just saying, though, you know who's not invited me to play? No. You. And it hurts a little We go bit. play today if you want. I uh, know. Today's no good for me. Actually, it's very cold today. I don't yeah. know if, if, listener, I'm wearing, which this is great. I John. told you, I, I came home. From the beach and on my desk, I preached about this Sunday. I know, I saw it. It was a huge point in your sermon about uh, your fingerless gloves. Tears were falling, um, but I came home and there was two pairs of fingerless gloves yeah. on, which I write with a lot um, on my desk. In a note from Andrew and Julie, from Julie, that said, "Hey, Andrew, didn't want your hands to get cold when you're writing your next book, so here you go." And I thought, man, I felt seen. You know, it was just a little token, but they're really nice. They're H and M gloves. And um, very, like, I would never buy something this upscale. So, well, no, you're broke because you've been on a celebrity cruise. That was a long time ago. Okay, I want to, ah, shoot. Nah, I can't. What? Okay. We need to go on vacation together. Why have we never been on vacation together? I don't know. We should do it. What are you afraid of? <laughs> I'm not afraid of anything. Well, there is a vacation vibe are you, that couples have. Are you... You know what I'm saying? Like, couples have a vibe on vacation. Like, some couples are like, let's not waste time. Let's get up and do stuff. And then some couples are like, uh, we're here because we're exhausted. We're going to sleep till 11, and then we'll see you guys at the buffet or whatever. So I don't. And you might be annoyed by that if we're that couple. I don't sleep till 11 on vacation, yeah. but I. But we do get up and then go to our relaxation spot. Yeah. So, like, we won't, we won't like, stay. We won't stay. We might, we'll sleep in, but like usually. You hurry up to go down and relax. By 11, we're on the beach. Yeah. 
like no, man, that's okay. spend eleven till whatever on the beach now. You know, so I might yeah. fall asleep again at the beach, but we're not just gonna. You know, if we're there. We, yeah. could, we could, you know, that's the weird part. Like, we could, if we wanted to stay in the bed, we could just stay at home. It's like, no, but there, people no, people it's... require you to go to jobs yeah. in order to eat and stuff. Right. Here. I don't know. Vacation's fun. Yeah. You, you can't live on the mountaintop, though, John. You've got oh. to get back down into the city. Oh, my goodness. For I think people it's the valley, isn't it? Is it? No, it? How do you go? Is there a... I don't know. I don't know. There's a city in the valley. In my scenario. I think you just wrote a Southern Gospel song. There's a city in the valley. Yeah. I don't Are you going to keep going? No. <laughs> There's enough Southern Gospel music in the world. I'm not. I'm not saying it's I'm bad. I'm saying we have enough. And by the way, poo-poo. Thanks for making it all. We have it. I want to remind you that poo-poo is a real word. Yes. I just found it in another historical biography. I, yes. P-O-O-H dash P-O-O-H. Yeah. I want to know its etymology. I think I looked it up, but... I want to know. I think it's from guys going. You think it's the sound? It's like uh, onomatopoeia. Oh, wow! You're just dropping them today. You man. know what I'm saying? I'm, I am looking it up right now. It's on from guys Marian going. <laughs> it's that. Uh, <laughs> it means to express contempt or impatience. Yeah. Uh, and and it's because uh, I don't think someone actually went poo poo. Uh, like I don't. <laughs> you know they don't say it. First known use would be 1823. Okay. And now. I'm going to attempt. Usually it has a word history, but I'm not finding it. I just know it's 1823. Huh. I remember there was a story about a really condescending bear called Winnie the Poo Poo. He <laughs> did not have as many friends. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. Yeah. That poor Winnie the Poo Poo. Uh, originated in the late 18th century as a reduplication of the word poo. Mm-hmm. which was a common expression of disgust. Some authors also suggest the term originated as a representation of the act of spitting in sign of contemptuous right. rejection. <laughs> Poo-poo. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, listener, mm. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where you're going with your segue. <laughs> we appreciate you not poo-pooing us. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And Thanks for being on board. It, it means a lot. Thanks to all of you who are patrons. Yeah, we appreciate our patrons. That's so great. And we're actually trying to figure out um, something cool for our patrons. We need to do another group call. We yeah. want some more input from them because the show is getting ready to have a cool announcement. And we want to know, like, what do you want to see more of? What do you want to see way less of? Johnny. Not to put too fine a point on it. Mm. But uh, so we need to do that. We need to set that up for our patrons. So if you want to get in on that. Email uh, Johnny at johnnyw.com. Yeah, that's a good yeah, spot for great. it. And uh, you can also go to talkaboutthatpodcast.com, find mm-hmm. all of our archived episodes, listen to those, and uh, get to our link trees. That's where you can find all yeah. our social media. That's where you can find out where to follow us and see what's going on. I got a ton of uh, tour dates coming up. You can get tickets and information on all those. Yeah. John's got new books he's working on, a couple of books that are fresh out. Yeah, new book out. He's got this one behind me that you can go ahead and go get a copy of. Yeah. Amazon.com. Yeah, you can also though the the latest book uh, we talked about more than your number with Jeff and Beth McCord, but there's another book by a guy named Pat Bradley that I wrote on uh, called uh, Born for Rescue, and it actually is coming out right now. And it's uh, I'm telling you some of the craziest stories I've ever written. Like, yeah, it just traveled the world. They, it, if there's a disaster, his organization Crisis Aid is like they they're like first on the ground, and mm-hmm. they have uh, they work with. You know UNICEF and other 
organizations to sort of you know have those those specifications that they have that right to be there. Right. So um, yeah, check it out, uh, Born for Rescue, and it's it, it's I'm telling you, it's it's worth it. The, the book opens with him being in Pakistan about two well about maybe six or seven weeks after September 11th. Oh wow, okay. Driving a truckload of food, he's trying to get to uh, a refugee camp, and uh, a truck pulls up with about seven guys with AK-47s who are Taliban fighters mm. and they get out and surround him and that's where we open the book true story I was going to leave it there sheesh They'll let them that's a, that's what yeah. you call a cliffhanger yeah, in the radio have, biz you're going to have to buy the that's book that's a tease now. yeah yeah so yeah. well I'm going to have to get my copy oh, there you go Johnny's like wow I got I must know what happened I so. need to know <laughs> I wish I could read this is a bummer. Yeah, it's sad that Johnny doesn't read. So. That's okay. But, uh, hey, yeah, send us questions, comments, topics you want us to talk about. They always mean a lot. Go leave a review, man. We appreciate it when you do that. It means a lot. And uh, we're excited about the next season of the podcast. We, we kind of keep, you know, alluding to that. But there is some, some new things coming. This is episode 227 mm. yeah. or 8. Oh, wow. That's a lot. You know, so we're going we're gonna to keep going for the moment until someone makes us stop. And, yeah. Um, Please don't be that person, no, listener. Don't. Help us go another episode. Just one episode at a time, bro. Yeah. If it, if if this only reaches one, one listener, um, we'll probably stop at that point. Yeah, so, that's not enough. Yeah. So anyway, hey, we're not stopping this time because we're going to do it again next week. On talk about that. hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic. My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.